Hello and welcome to the Six Tone Podcast, bringing you fresh voices from today's China. We're coming to you from Shanghai, and I'm Chen Jinghua, and I'm Kevin Sumakers. For today's episode, we're looking back at the Wenchuan earthquake. Nearly a decade ago, on May 12, 2008, a 7.9 magnitude earthquake hit Sichuan Province. With more than 80,000 people dead or missing, it was a national tragedy. Joining us today are Six Tone reporters Wang Lianzhang and Ling Qixing, who recently visited Sichuan to look at the earthquake's lingering impact. Lianzhang, could you explain to our listeners who might not be familiar with the Wenchuan earthquake how it is seen in China? The earthquake is one of the largest disasters after the founding of People's Republic of China. At that time, I was 16 years old. In fact, I had no idea of what earthquake is at that time. In the afternoon, we got some messages, and the telecom companies told us there's an earthquake happening in Sichuan. I had a pen pal in Sichuan. And、so I sent her a message, and in two days she didn't reply. So at the first time, I began to realize maybe this is a really big disaster. On the next week, the whole nation will require to fly a flag at the half mast, and it take our teacher several minutes to say that let's fly the flag at the half mast because she was crying. She was from Sichuan province. At that time, we don't have smartphones, so the message is a little bit slow. You can only wait for the press release to know what is happening now. And because in Sichuan. Area, the whole communication signals were totally down, so we don't know what is really happening there. I think basically everyone will remember that day. Yes, I remember that almost everyone donated money. It was in high school, and as Lian Zhang said, smartphones、uh, at that time were not very developed yet. So the news about the earthquake was on the school's TV every day. And I feel like together with the Beijing Olympics, that the Olympic and the earthquake are the two major events that make us feel we are Chinese as a nation. That it's the first time that we feel we are connected to the Chinese in other parts of the country. And our photo editor Tia, she was from Sichuan, and her hometown was also destroyed at that time. She was studying in Guangzhou at that time, and she couldn't reach her parents and relatives. So she organized a big event in her school to ask the schoolmates to donate some money to her hometown because her hometown is not widely reported in the media coverage. So she's afraid whether the people at her hometown will be rescued or get. Enough stuff and money and resources. Were her parents alright at the end?、Uh, yes, her parents and her all of her relatives are well. A particularly tragic aspect of the earthquake was how many children died. Lian Zhang, for your article on people who live with disabilities as a result of the earthquake, you spoke with survivors who were students at the time. What was their experience that day? Because that happened on a school day, so the school age population was nearly wiped out at that time. Most of the survivors I talked to were having a physical education class, so they were on the playground. But for the others, if they are studying in the classroom. Especially for the students studying the first floor and the second floor, because the building was totally collapsed. There's no time for them to run away from this earthquake. And most of the interviewees were described that scene as like the gate of hell opened, 
or someone said I just climbed from a pile of dead bodies. And an interviewer told me that the school building was collapsed, so he rushed down to the county to seek for help. And then he saw the whole county was totally destroyed. And what he could do is only turn back to school and try to find someone still alive so he can be together with them. And in the following hours, he tried to save a lot of people, but his best friend is our main character of the disabled story, Zheng Haiyang, was buried under a ceiling. Even 100 people could not move that ceiling, so he could only stay there and watch his best friend burying under the remains, and he could do nothing. Everybody were very helpless. The most touching thing that Zheng Haiyang told me was that at that time he and his deskmate were buried under the ceilings and there's a rescue team came and they were decided who will be saved first. Zheng Haiyang was not the rescue team's choice, so he had a struggling feeling. He doesn't want his deskmate to be saved because Zheng Haiyang doesn't want to be alone, but he also knows that his deskmate couldn't survive if he won't be rescued in several hours. So that's a very struggling feeling he had. And when he said this, his face looks very awkward, like he's still struggling now. He felt ashamed that he had the feeling he doesn't want his deskmate to be saved, but he thinks it's like a human's nature. Some of the interviewees you spoke to saw the earthquake as simply a natural disaster, but others also feel there were man-made factors that exacerbated the devastation. What were some of those factors? At first, many people will believe that this disaster is unexpected, so nobody can do anything to prevent it. But later, some parents, especially the parents who lost their children in the earthquake, they will believe whether the school buildings were too weak to handle this kind of disasters. Later, they have appealed to the government to have a final answer, but yet they still haven't got it. So in the aftermath, some people suspect the corruption problems because at first they will receive quite a lot donated goods but after the leaders visits they were required to return those products. The people in your story Lianzhang were all teenagers when the earthquake happened. How do they look on the event now? It's very common for Chinese people to have small talk about their children, their families and their relatives but it's like a taboo in Beichuan because someone may lost their children or the other family members. And even when they meet up right now, we'll have some social gatherings, but they will refuse to recall that moment in the earthquake. So could you describe what the place looks like right now? Because as I understand, they basically left the county town that was mostly destroyed in 2008, and they built a whole new, new city next to it. Is that right? Yes, the new county is like half an hour driving distance to the old county. The old county is now preserved as a museum. So everyone went there, you can see what has really happened in 2008. Or many of the buildings collapsed, twisted, and you can see many memorials standing in front of those buildings. 
and there will be local survivors work as guides there, and they will repeatedly talk to you about what really happened on that day. On the Tom Sweeping Festival, a traditional holiday that Chinese people visited the deceased Zheng Haiyang and his then classmates went to the old county, and there are. I guess more than twenty media outlets were together with them, and whatever he did, twenty cameras will take photo of him. Could you talk a little about the impact of the media attention on the lives of these survivors? When the earthquake happened, quite a lot of students were caught by the media cameras at that time, and they will have their own names. For example, at that time, a high school student, when he was rescued, he told the rescue team that he wanted cola. And he was called as a cola boy at that time. And Zheng Haiyang was taking a photo when he was still buried under the remains, so he was called as a gap boy. For these people, they will get quite a lot media attention in these following ten years. But for the other survivors who were not reported in 2008, their life will be more ordinary. Though many media reports portray the local people as brave and strong characters, but actually I know there are many people who cannot handle the trauma. According to some public reports, in the first three years, there are three government officials have killed themselves. Two of them have lost their children in. The earthquake. They actually were praised for their good performance in rescue and the later rebuild programs. But eventually, they ended their lives because it's hard for them to go on. So, what is Zheng Haiyang doing now? Last year, Zheng Haiyang has started to develop an app to provide services to disabled people, including help them to connect hospitals and doctors, and how to find the most suitable artificial limbs. And also, he has organized quite a lot offline events to support them because he thinks that the whole recovery process for disabled people needs both physical and psychological supports. Another part of the Wenchuan earthquake's impact was that it spawned changes in how the country deals with emergencies. Chi Ting, your article deals with the disaster's legacy. Could you tell us a bit about that? 2008, it's called the founding year of NGO because at that time, many volunteers and entrepreneurs who donated money they witnessed what happened, and later they founded their own NGOs. So the disaster is like a, a catalyst of the NGO growth in China that leads to more people paying attention to civil society, and they would donate their time and and money to to help others. For example, there are now some NGOs doing earthquake trainings for school kids and villages. It makes a lot difference if you have this simple idea in mind what to do when an earthquake comes. And one interviewee in 2008, she was working for the government, and she was sent to an elementary school. In that middle school, with 500 students, more than 300 were buried and died because the first three stories collapsed. And the interviewee said that after Working there for six days, only six students were rescued, and it seems that the panic students are crowded around the narrow exits, and they are piling up over each other, so they couldn't escape, even though the open air is just so close by. 
at the end of Lian Zhang's story, Zheng Haiyang, he's very fatalistic about earthquakes, and he says that basically it's useless to try and escape. But what do the NGOs teach people how they should respond? The NGO would teach the students and villagers what to do when the earthquake comes. Is you first hide in some safe place, like under the table, if you're in school. Then after the first stroke of the earthquake. You go quickly but calmly out to the open air space, and the founder of the NGO herself experienced three earthquakes, and she、uh, had very strong feeling that Chinese people are not well prepared for the earthquakes. While like Japanese people, for example, in 2011, when she was traveling in Japan, she was caught in the big earthquake in、um, Tokyo. At that time, she was at a hairdresser's place, and when the earthquake came. Everyone walked out of the shopping mall quickly, but in calmly. And one week later, when she was in a business trip to Yunnan, there was another big earthquake at the border of Myanmar and Yunnan province. She was in a hotel room, and they got stuck in the middle of the hallway because people panicked and they just couldn't get out. So, because she's experienced in dealing with earthquakes, she first opened the hotel door in case that the door was distorted, and then she hid in the bathroom where, in a tiny space, you have small support, so it's a, a safer place. If the the building collapses, and then after the first shock, she grabbed a pillow on on her head and escaped out of the building. So ten years later, is it primarily、uh, NGOs and volunteer groups delivering this kind of training, or is it something that's mandated that you know schools and hospitals and whatever other large public institutions would be required to do? Basically, the NGOs are touring around schools and villages to give them this kind of training, and what they do is more professional than the school's owned training. They would have these routine drill, for example, like、uh, once every semester, but it's very easy. It just, for example, in the villages, then they have a, a drill like every year. They start the alarm, and the villagers would run from one part to the other, and that's the end. But what the NGO trained them to do is that they would have their own rescue team, like a dozen of men, and they have the ability to rescue the villagers trapped in the ruins. And it's also more fun for them to have a like a, a stage script, like you have someone buried in in the ruins. So the drill for them is a, a happy activity that they would like to participate. So for later earthquakes, was there a noticeable difference in the response? Yes, for example, in Yaan, Sichuan, they have another earthquake in two thousand and thirteen. So it's five years after the two thousand eight earthquake, and there the NGOs they are working better in a more professional way, and also because the residents they are prepared, they already experienced one earthquake. So, for example, they know not to jump when there's some shaking, and this is what the、um, NGO like told them. So during the training for the villages, the NGO would. Teach them, for example, how to make a, a simple stretcher using the fertilizer bags and bamboo. Because if in 2008 earthquake, many roads、uh, from the countryside to the cities were cut off. So for the first 24 hours, it's very important if the villagers know what to do and rescue by themselves. Thank you, Wang Lianzhang and Lin Qiqing, for joining us today. To read their articles as well as our other coverage on the Wenchuan earthquake that we will publish over the coming week, visit our website sixtone.com. That's s i x t h t o n e dot com. Thanks for listening. I'm Kevin Schumacher. 
And I'm Chen Jinghua. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and tune in for the next episode in a fortnight. Bye.